We're going to read from God's Word now from uh, two different places in Scripture. The first is in Zechariah chapter 12. We're going to read from verse 10 um, down to verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 13. And then we're going to turn to Hebrews 9 and read verse 15 to 22. But let's first listen to Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom, the, whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves, and the fa family of the Shiamites by the itself and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left each by itself and their wives by themselves. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to read from verse 15 down to verse 22. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even in the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people. He took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his holy and inspired word. Friends, we need to understand and grasp how important the theme of covenant is in scripture. Covenants aren't really something that we maybe think about as much anymore in this day and age, and maybe they sound a wee bit kind of business-like, but actually the, the, at the heart and the very nature of covenant lies relationship. What is a covenant? Well, it's a relationship between two uh, uh, parties where promises are made to one another, and it is often accompanied by a sign or an oath. Covenants are different from contracts. Contracts are more transactional, and covenants are in their nature relational. But like I said, we don't really speak about covenants as much anymore. But the best example we have of covenant is marriage. When you get married, you enter a covenant with your spouse, where there is a sign, rings are exchanged, there are promises made, you share your vows, and at the, the very heart of that covenant you're entering is love for one another. 
And just as it is with marriage, biblical covenants are grounded in love and trust between two parties, us and God. And when we have covenants, there are boundaries and parameters that are set in place as well. In the Bible, we see a number of covenants that God uh, made with his people. We see one with Adam, we see it with Noah, we, we see it with Abraham, Moses, and David. And in each one of these covenants that God makes, he shows his continual commitment to his people as God's story unfolds throughout Scripture. Now, if you've been around church for a while, perhaps you're already thinking about what we're going to say during communion, where we take the cup and we say, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed by my blood. And the new covenant becomes a full reality when Jesus returns. When we enter into heaven and we see Christ in all of his glory. But why did there have to be a new covenant? Why did Jesus, when he sat with his disciples around the table and we see the institution of the Lord's Supper, why did he say, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed and filled with my blood. Why did there have to be a new covenant? Well, as I said, God had already established a covenant with Adam. That's how God relates to his people is through covenants. That's, we need to remember that this morning. That's how God relates to his people is through covenants. And he'd already established a covenant with Adam. And what the covenant with Adam that he's established, it was, we call it the covenant of works. And why is it called that? Well, it depended upon Adam's obedience. God set out boundaries and parameters. They were in the Garden of Eden, and you can enjoy the garden and the bounty of the garden. You can enjoy my presence and my dwelling place that's with you, Adam, and all that comes with it. But there was something that Adam had to obey. There was a work he had to do. And as long as Adam lived within that covenant and stayed within the parameters and the boundaries of this covenant of works where he obeyed God, he would continue to enjoy the blessings that God was bestowing upon him. And this covenant of works with Adam was based on what he did. As long as he enjoyed, as long as he obeyed God, he would enjoy the bounty and blessing that God had given to him and the and also living in the state of eternal life. That was something that Adam knew. As long as he obeyed God, the covenant of works. All he had to do was not eat from a certain tree. And if he ate from that tree, there would be consequences. Because he steps over the boundaries and the parameters of the covenant. And the nature of the relationship that God had established with him. Let's read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam, you can enjoy every fruit in this garden, bar one. Bar the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you eat that, Adam, you've disobeyed me. You've broken the 
the, the relationship we've had, and there'll be consequences to that. You will know death. You will die. That's why scripture says the wages of sin is death. If he broke the covenant that God had established with him, there'd be consequences to it. And we know that Adam, Genesis 3, he eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's in breach of the covenant that God had established with him. He's disobeyed God. He stepped outside the parameters of God's blessing. And now it wasn't eternal life he knew anymore in that state he would have enjoyed forever. He now knew death. Death had now become Adam's and through Adam, mankind's reality. And God could have left us there. The story could have ended there. But it didn't because he loves us. So God established another covenant. And we see it rolling out and we see it being developed from Noah to Abraham to Moses to David. And what this covenant is called is the covenant of grace. Where God allows mercy to triumph over judgment. And God in his mercy and his grace, he says, I will make a way for you. I will redeem you from the mistake that you have made. Whereby God would save his people from the wages of sin, which is death. By sending a chosen one, a Messiah, the Christ. And that's what we see as the Old Testament unfolds. And not as this constant drumbeat of this promised one who would come and save God's people from their sins. That's why it's a covenant of grace. Because now God is treating us not how we deserve to be treated, but how we don't deserve to be treated. He's being gracious towards us. He is preparing a way for us to be redeemed. But the covenant God made with Adam was still broken. Death was still there. And there was still now a chasm between God and man. Sin and death still needed to be dealt with. But in order to do that, as we thought about last week, a price had to be paid. But friends, we couldn't pay that price. So God develops and initiates this covenant of grace. But actually all that we deserved, as we'll think about in a moment, is placed upon the shoulders of one who didn't deserve it. And actually what he deserved, what Jesus, what was his, in this most beautiful exchange through faith now becomes ours. But we couldn't pay that price, friends. So he sent what Romans refers to as Jesus as the second Adam. One who would fulfill that covenant of works. That's why he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to do what you couldn't do. I will obey everything that God needs to be obeyed. I will do it all in your place. And then I will take the, the punishment and the wrath of God for your sins upon myself. So that actually you can enjoy this new covenant. This new relationship with God the Father. That is sealed by my blood for you. That brings us to Zechariah 12, verse 10, where we see this covenant of grace being 
spoken to and been developed and been alluded to where God says, and he speaks in the first person here, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. Remember, friends, that Jesus is a descendant of the, the house of David. He is, uh, he is king. He's come from this royal line. And when we see Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem being spoken about here, friends, it, it signifies and it points to all of God's people. I will pour out upon the house of David and all of God's people, I will pour out upon them a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. And a few things that we need to note in this verse that are just mind-blowing, friends. What we see is that it is God himself who pours it out. We don't achieve it. We don't earn it. We can't do it, friends. That was how the covenant of works at the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, that's how God related to Adam. It was meant to be by what we did, but then it was broken. We couldn't do it anymore. And then God initiates his covenant of grace and no longer becomes about what we do or what we've done, but it comes about who we trust in. And we trust in his completed works. Jesus himself. It's him who pours it out. We don't achieve it. We don't earn it. God himself is the source of this. And when it says grace, that, that means um, mercy being given to undeserving people. <laughs> Do you know, friends, you're undeserving this morning of the goodness of God. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. That's why it's grace. That's why it's mercy. And if you're sitting here thinking this morning that you don't need to be saved or that you don't stand guilty before the Lord, that is a dangerous place to be. And I pray that God softens your heart and opens your eyes to see who he is and his splendor and his holiness. We see about him pouring out these pleas for mercy. What that means is we must have repentant hearts. We must come to him in repentance from our sins and seek his forgiveness, which he freely gives to any who come to him in faith. See who it is pierced in verse 10, on him whom they pierced. Look on me, he says. It's God himself who would be pierced. He doesn't send a third party agency. He comes himself to rescue his own people. And the sense here from God's people, friends, is a sense of remorse of what they've done in crucifying and piercing God himself. And do you know, as I prepared this morning, it dawned on me, and it should have dawned on me before now, that yes, I am a beneficiary of the blood of Jesus, but I'm also to blame. He died not just for me, but he died because of me. And all I did, if I'd never sinned, if mankind had never sinned, he wouldn't have had to die. But such was his love. He didn't just die because of me. He died for me. It's the gospel we believe. It's the gospel we trust in. That even though we were dead in our transgressions, even though we were sinners lost, that Jesus loved us so much that he died in our place. And as the hymn says, guilty, vile, and helpless we, perfect Lamb of God was he. Full redemption can it be. Hallelujah. 
What a savior. But even though we were doing our worst, mankind was doing their worst to God on the cross. We see God at work. We see it at Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15. But it says, therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Those may receive the promised eternal inheritance. This new covenant that God has established has eternal blessings within it. And here we see the significance of Jesus' death. Why he came. Goes on, it says in verse 22 of Hebrews 9. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why he died. He died to forgive our sins. And we see that he is this mediator of a new covenant. The covenant of works that be made with Adam. The covenant of grace was rolled out between the Old Testament and we see it. But then Jesus has come, friends, and he has brought in a new covenant sealed by his blood. One that has eternal benefits within it. And he dies to redeem them from under the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That covenant made in the garden of Eden. Eat that fruit and you will die. That's what God said to Adam. And death became mankind's reality. So Christ stepped in. And by taking our place, he has secured eternal blessings and benefits for the people of God. And friends, we can now say on this side of the cross, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? So Christ's death was necessary for your redemption. And because of his death, there is a new covenant sealed by his blood. The promise of an eternal inheritance free from sin, free from the consequences of sin, free from the outworkings of sin. And we will enjoy all that Christ has in store for his people forever. Why? Because he loves you. Despite your sin, Despite your mess, despite your problems and your issues, your wrongdoings, he loves you. And there is nowhere he wouldn't go to rescue you. He loves you that much that he will go to the most far-flung place of this world, wherever you end up, the darkest cracks and crevices of this world, wherever you end up, he loves you so much that he will even go there to redeem you. He searches in love. He finds in love. He redeems in love. Our God is love. And this is the hope we have, friends. We see it in verse 1 of chapter 13 of Zechariah. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. This is the hope we have. This is why and how we can come. It is only by the blood of Jesus. Your works and what you do is nothing before the Lord. 
It is by the works of one that we are saved. It is by the completed works of Jesus Christ. He himself who was pierced for our transgressions. And that's what we see at the cross of Calvary. When Jesus is physically and literally pierced. What we see is water and blood pour from his side. We read it at the beginning of our service. We see water and blood pour from his side. And in that very moment, a fountain is opened. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened. And that day, friends, was at the cross of Calvary. When the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God was pierced for our transgressions. For our wrongdoings. And as the precious blood of Jesus ran down his side. As it flows down his side and onto the ground. As the word made flesh hung and bled in my place. In your place. As man was doing his worst to the precious son of God. What John the Baptist said rings true. Here comes the Lamb of God. To take away the sins of the world. And as the side of Jesus is pierced, as he dies on the cross of Calvary, as he hangs there, as a sacrifice for our sins. What Zechariah says in chapter 13, verse 1, and as the hymn writer put it so beautifully as we just sang, a fountain is open wide. And the source of that fountain, friends, is from the veins of Jesus himself. Your redemption flows from the heart of God. It's a spring that will never run dry. It is a spring that will never lose its power. It flows from Emmanuel's veins. His precious blood. We'll make sure that you are washed in his blood this morning. In the precious blood of Jesus. For it can wash away the most awful and vilest of stains and sins. And even the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Even the most vilest offender who is washed by the blood of Jesus will be forgiven. And you might say, well, you don't know about this, you don't know about that, you don't know about this sin, you don't know about these things I've done or these things I've said. And friends, do you know what I say to those comments and those statements and those questions? You don't know how powerful the blood of Jesus is. That is how you are thinking this morning. We look at this world through the lens of merit. They don't deserve this, they don't deserve that, but God does not deal with us and look upon us based on merit friends if he did if he looked upon us by what we do and what we could achieve every single one of us would spend eternity in hell and you might think you're not that bad in comparison to others and the awful things that they have done and by the world standards you're probably correct but friends this morning you aren't compared to the thief on the cross God doesn't measure you up with Barabbas. We stand before Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and before Him and before heaven, every single one of us has fallen short of God's glory and God's standards. Every single one of us.
Praise be to God that he has opened up a fountain that cleanses us from all our sins and all our uncleanness. And the sign and the seal of this new covenant, friends, is the precious blood of Jesus Christ himself. I ask you this question. Are you washed in the blood this morning? Because it's not about what you do or what you've done. It is only by the blood that we are saved. Are you washed in the blood this morning of Jesus? Have you dipped yourself have you immersed yourself in the fountain that Zechariah speaks of? Filled by Emmanuel's veins. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That is the only reason we can gather here this morning. That is the only reason we have hope. Is that my stains have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. This morning, we come once again to the foot of the cross. And we who have been washed, we who are in Christ, must come before him with hearts full of wonder, love, and praise. At the lengths God went to redeem us, such is his love for you. I pray that you gaze upon him and as he was beaten and spat at, he says, I love you. And as he was whipped and lashed, he says, I love you. And as the nails were pierced through his hands and hammered into his feet, hear not the sound of hammer against nail, but hear heaven say and speak over you this morning, I love you. And I have opened a fountain for you. And I have created a way for you and I to be in eternal relationship again. And that fountain is filled by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. And dear friends, if you're not in Christ this morning, if you've not dipped yourself in that fountain, if you've not been washed by the blood... I ask you simply, why not? Don't you know you need him? Don't you believe that you need to be saved? Don't you know that he loves you? Doesn't matter what you've done. Because Jesus' blood is more powerful and more cleansing than the most vilest of sins that can be committed in this world. Praise be to God that there is a fountain that has been opened for us this morning, filled with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, we ask that in your power and in your mercy, that you would draw us close to yourself. Remind us of the power of the blood of Jesus. And as we begin our approach to the Lord's table, cleanse us afresh, we pray.
Wash us again by the blood of Jesus Christ. In your precious name we ask.